Well, thank you very much indeed for your warm welcome here in Carrickfergus this morning. Good to be with you. And it was good to pull up in the car, and the first man I greeted was John Brown. And that took me back a bit because John Brown did a mission for me in Mullock Main in my first church many years ago, and he taught me much in one week and has stood the test of time since. So good to see John again. I started off in Mullock Main uh, way back in 1990. And uh, during the five years that I was there, we planted the church across the border in Cavan uh, with help from Baptist Missions. And it's a delight uh, to see Bill Turbot being planted from Cavan in recent years, and Joel Marcus down there, and Simon and Jane Gibson, who I know you know well here from Carrick Fergus, serving there in the church, and Bill Turbot as well. And then when I left Cavan in 2005, I went to work for SIM for four years, another mission agency. And then I came back uh, to Armagh uh, 14 years ago in 2009. And from that, we've been able to plant Katy Baptist Church just a couple of years ago. And we rejoice it's now a member church of our association. And they're now financially self-supporting as well, which is even better. And uh, that leaves us as a church in Armagh ready to do something else. So can I ask you to pray for us this incoming week? As you know, for many years, um, John Cunningham has been working up from Newry up into Cross McGlen for about 15 plus years, I think it is now. Uh, we're gonna kind of come, gonna come alongside him in the days that lie ahead. And so this week we start some door-to-door outreach in Cross McGlen. Tuesday afternoon, if you'd remember us in your prayers, the next two Tuesday afternoons, uh, we have a meeting with another guy who's working in the area on Friday coming. And uh, we trust that after Easter, we're gonna be running five or six meetings in the local community center in Cross McGlen from the 20th of April through to the end of June on a fortnightly basis on a Thursday night. If you'd remember that very much in prayer, fear and trepidation, starting out into another new work. Uh, but we believe that John has a number of contacts. Another family have just started coming to Armagh just before COVID. They have also been reaching into Cross McGlen in a children's ministry. And our hope and plan is to put those two sets of contacts together and try and start meetings and try and see where it goes in the days that lie ahead. But we need your prayers very much as we embark upon that work in the coming days. So thanks for allowing me to be here this morning and to share with you. And I'd like now to turn to God's word and to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want to read the whole chapter, just 10 verses uh, this morning and to share from God's word with you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continue to remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, 
for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. We pray that God would bless that reading of his word to our hearts this morning. Now, as you can imagine, with everything that's going on in my life at the minute, I don't get a lot of time for hobbies nowadays. But one thing I used to enjoy, enjoy as a boy was model making. Might have been airfix planes or ships or tanks. And I also built models of cars or trucks or motorbikes. In my childhood, when I was a teenager, I made a scale model of a new church building off the architect's plans. And that building is now Ballykeel Baptist Church. It helped people to visualize what their new church building would look like, and the idea was that it would help them to give more to their building fund to make it become a reality. When we talk about a model in that sense, we mean a scaled-down version of the real thing. That's what a model is, a smaller version of the real thing. Well, Paul talks about the church in Thessalonica being a model, a model church in verse 7 of this passage. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So in one sense, it was a scaled-down version of the real thing, the church in Thessalonica. It was a local church, and the local church should be a smaller version of the universal church, the worldwide church. The local church can be as small as two or three people. Matthew 18 and verse 20, where two or three gathered together in my name, said Jesus, there am I in the midst of them. And at times in my work over the years, I've ministered just to two or three people. I think of a Bible study in the heart of County Leitrim that ran for quite a number of years, and it was just the faithful two or three who gathered week by week or month by month. Praise God, there's a Baptist church now in Carrick and Shannon in County Leitrim. Nothing to do with us, but God brought that church into being in his own way. But Paul had something else in mind about Thessalonica. They were a model church because they were setting a good example of what a true church should be like. They were a model church because they were setting a good example of what a true church should be like. So verse 7 is our key verse this morning. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. We're going to think about Thessalonica as a model church this morning. We're going to ask, in what sense was this young church in Thessalonica a model to others, an example for others to follow? And is Carrick Fergus Baptist Church a model church today? I want to highlight three things from verses 8, 9, and 10 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 to tie, and tie them in with a few things that Paul says in verse 3. So first of all, this morning, they were a model church in terms of outreach in verse 8. They were a model church in terms of outreach, because it says there in verse 8 that the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. They were a model church in terms of outreach. And this was their labor prompted by love that Paul talks about back up there in verse 3. We continue to remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Back in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15, Paul tells us that if we meditate on the love that Christ has for us, 
he loves us so much that he died and rose again for us, then it should motivate us. It should compel us to live our lives, not for ourselves anymore, but for our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For Christ loves, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who loved them and gave himself for them. And part of that involves telling other people about the Lord Jesus Christ, reaching out to the lost, motivated by the love that Christ has for us, we should be reaching out to the lost. Now, if you look very closely at verses 5 and 6 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, you discover the Thessalonians had only recently received the gospel. In fact, we understand from the Acts that it's only a matter of weeks that Paul got to spend in Thessalonica. And yet after those few weeks of ministry, a little church had come into being. They had just recently received the gospel. He says, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. They'd only recently received the gospel and they welcomed it gladly. But now they were transmitting it to, verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. So they'd recently received the gospel, they'd applied it to their own hearts, they'd responded by being born again, but now they were transmitting the good news of the gospel to others as well. They were ringing it out as the idea, ringing it out loud and clear, to all around them. Like a trumpet call, they were telling people to get ready to meet the Lord. These folks in Thessalonica weren't just taking in God's word, they were now giving it out as well. This church was doing both. I'm sure you're familiar with the fact that in the land of Israel, there are two inland seas, two seas. In the south, there's the Dead Sea, the longer one of the two. And it's dead because everything goes into it from the river Jordan to the north but nothing ever goes out of it. So it's stagnant and it's dead and there's nothing living there. But in the north, there's the Sea of Galilee and it's living, it's teeming with life, so much so that often we read in the gospels of Jesus and his disciples catching great numbers of fish there. You never read that about the Dead Sea. So why the difference? It's because the Sea of Galilee not only takes in water from the river Jordan at the top, it also gives it out again on the River Jordan to the south as well. The Sea of Galilee is a channel, not a sponge. It doesn't just take in and hold it there, it gives it out as well. And that's like the church in Thessalonica. As a church, it's an example to us here. If a church wants to be a living church, not a dead church, then its people need to make sure that they're giving out as much as they're taking in. Yes, you need to have a good preaching ministry here, a good faithful Bible teaching ministry here Sunday after Sunday. But you also need to be committed to evangelism, to telling the gospel to others, to sharing your faith with others, to being channels, not sponges. And that's why it's so important to run outreach Bible studies or discipleship courses like Christianity Explored or Discipleship Explored or the new one, Hope Explored, that's why it's important to have a personal witness in your local community and be in there rubbing shoulders with people 
getting to know them and sharing the good news of the gospel with them, as well as inviting them to be part of your meetings here in your building. So the two seas of the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee teach us the importance of being channels, not sponges, as far as God's word is concerned. And we see that in the example of the Thessalonians. And then if you notice carefully in verse 8, Thessalonica's witness extended to two provinces. Two provinces. It talks about Macedonia and Achaia. So you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Now Macedonia and Achaia is all of modern Greece. Two areas back then, but it's all of modern Greece, a whole nation. This little church, only recently established, had a large vision, a wide vision. They were reaching two whole provinces. In fact, they were reaching two whole cultures. I wonder how wide is your vision here in Carrick? Reaching into two cultures, this church was doing in Thessalonica. Can I encourage you in Carrick Fergus to keep your vision as wide as you possibly can? Are there communities not far from your church building here that still need to hear the good news of the gospel? A couple of them have already been mentioned, and you already have natural links with these two places. You have the Shankill Community Fellowship, where David and Pamela Dixon continue to work under the auspices of Baptist missions. They're getting ready to move towards constituting that little fellowship as a church, hopefully this year, with the blessing of Shankill Baptist Church further up the road. They're developing, they're growing, and they continue to need your support and your prayers and your help maybe financially as well. Continue to keep a focus on the work there in Shankill Community Fellowship. That's one culture. But you also have a natural link with another culture in Bill Turbot through Simon and Jane Gibson working with CEF across County Cavan. And I believe Simon's an elder in the Bill Turbot Baptist Church. What a joy it was to be there preaching at their constitution service just a couple of years ago, just a fortnight after Katie had constituted. What a privilege it was to preach at both of those services. And Simon and Jane Gibson are working in a very different culture to Carrickfergus and a very different culture to the Shankill. Well, Turbot is extremely different as far as that is, that are, is concerned. So are there ways you can come alongside them and help them with your outreach also in the days that lie ahead? Mentioned a little bit about Armagh this morning. Well, as you know, Armagh has reached into Katy and seen a church planted there. I've also asked for your prayers as we reach into Cross McGlen in the coming weeks and months, seeking to plant a church there in the days that lie ahead. Two very needy communities, and as you know, very much of a different culture from here. But we also have two couples in our church who head down to Furbo Baptist Church in the Gaeltacht in Galway, west of Galway City, practically every month. And what they do is they head down on a Friday evening. They spend Saturday doing practical work on the building there to try and bring it up to scratch. And then on a Sunday morning, they minister to them through God's Word as well. There's a model you might think about. Maybe just a, a carload of folks heading down to Bill Turbot for a weekend, helping them with practical stuff, and then also helping to minister God's Word on the Lord's Day. All sorts of ways we can be involved practically in two cultures, not just here in Northern Ireland, but in the Republic of Ireland as well, and in the different communities represented in the various housing estates around our churches. So there's the first thing this morning. The Thessalonican church, in terms of their commitment to outreach, are a real example to us. 
Secondly, this morning, they were a model church in terms of changed lives. If you look at verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, therefore we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They were a model church in terms of changed lives. And I believe this was why they were so effective in commending the gospel to others. This was their work produced by faith that Paul talked about back up there in verse 3 once again. Their work produced by faith. Now, I'm not saying that good works saved them, because they didn't. It was faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which saved them. But faith in him as their Lord and as their Savior produced great changes in their lives. They trusted in Jesus as their Savior to forgive their sins. They also committed their lives to Jesus as their Lord. And this meant that because of their newfound faith, certain things were going to have to change. There were certain things they would now have to do. And we're told here in this verse they had to change their allegiance from worshiping dumb, lifeless idols to serving the living and true God. Can you grasp the complete contrast in what I've just said? Think about those folks in Thessalonica in a Greek pagan culture. They had to turn their backs on worshiping dumb, lifeless idols and they had to turn right around to serve the living and the true God. They had to turn from something, dumb idols, and they had to turn to someone, the living and true God. And that's true repentance. Turning from sin and all we know to be wrong, and turning to God and all he now shows us to be right from his word. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now, every community has its idols. We were thinking of two cultures there a moment or two ago. Every culture has its idols. They may not be statues made of wood or stone, but we all have our idols, things that take the place in our lives that only God rightfully deserves. I wonder what are the idols in the communities around you here in Carrickfergus? What is it that they need to turn from that is dumb, that is lifeless, that gets between them and God, that they've spent too long allowing to rule their lives, will you call them to turn from those dumb idols to serve the living and true God and the culture in which God has placed you? But there are more contrasts. They were in fearful bondage to these pagan idols. They spent their lives trying to appease these gods to keep them happy. But now they were giving themselves gladly and willingly to serve glad service the living and true God. They once worshipped idols that were dead and lifeless. Now they were serving the living God, the only God who's really alive, who really exists, who can do anything for us, because idols are no gods at all. Our God is the living God. Idols are false gods. Our God is the living and true God. They'd found the truth. They'd found reality. They'd found the living God. He changed their lives. And so they couldn't help but pass on this good news about the gospel. So what's wrong with us then? Do we realize what we've got or who we're in touch with? Why do we find it so hard to talk about him or to share him with others? Is it that our lives just don't show the change that they should? Is it that we fear that our lives just don't back up what we're saying? 
You see, part of their confidence came from the fact that their changed lives backed up the message of their lips. So people had to sit up and take notice. They were a model church in their commitment to outreach in verse 8, but this was backed up by the change in their lives in verse 9. You can imagine the stir that was caused in Katy whenever the local town drunk who hung around the monument in the middle of the town day in and day out, every day of the week, came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through the witness of the little fellowship in Katy. And I mean the witness of the little fellowship in Katy. It wasn't just one man sharing the gospel with him. They brought him in when he came into their meetings in the community center and they wrapped their arms around him, the whole fellowship, and they showed him love. And he trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior. He's coming from an alcoholic background, as you can imagine. And John knows all about this. There's blips from time to time. He had won a number of months ago, but he still knows that he's saved. And he's back living in the area again. And we believe he's going to be a witness in that community in the days to come. Nothing is impossible with our God. He can save people. He can transform their lives. And whenever it's a changed life, it's a powerful witness to the whole community of the need to turn from worthless idols to serve the living and true God. They were a model church in terms of their commitment to outreach, and this was backed up by the change in their lives in verse 9. And one more thing from verse 10. They were a model church by their confidence in the future. They were a model church by their confidence in the future. Another word for that is hope. And one thing that we're missing in our world today is hope, aren't we? doesn't matter who you talk to. There is a a real lack of hope for the future. But this little church had a real hope for the future. Just look at verse 10. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. They were a model church by their confidence in the future. This ties in once again with verse 3 where it says, we continue to remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we keep going as Christians? How do we keep going as churches? How do we keep going on outreach in the world in which we live today? Only by being inspired by the hope that we have that the Lord Jesus Christ is one day coming again. That's where our endurance, our stickability comes from, because it's inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Thessalonian church was a church that stuck at it through thick and thin. They endured patiently, even through times of persecution and trouble. Why? Because they were confidently waiting for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to return again for them from heaven. They knew three things about him as far as verse 10 is concerned. God had raised him from the dead. He was alive, verse 10. He was coming back from heaven for them. He was coming again. And he was going to rescue them from the coming wrath because he was their savior. There's the three things they knew about him. He was alive, he was coming again, and he was their savior who would rescue them from the coming wrath. We might have difficulties and trials to pass through down here simply because we're Christians in a hostile world. But we know that no matter how hot it gets down here, it's nothing compared to how hot it's going to get for people who don't know the Lord. 
So it's better to stick with Jesus, keep trusting in Jesus, keep pressing on with Jesus, because to be lost, to be outside of Christ, is unthinkable. First and Second Thessalonians, two letters say a lot about Christ's return. These letters also say a lot about God's wrath, God's judgment that is still to be poured out on the last day. Listen to Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 4 to 10 as I read it to you. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 4 to 10. Therefore among God's churches we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when? When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. That passage is talking about God's wrath that is going to fall upon unbelievers at the last day. But what about believers on that day? Well, listen to First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 9 to 11, just a, few, just a page earlier in your Bible. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 9. For as believers are concerned, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. So God has not appointed us as believers to suffer his wrath. He has appointed for us to be saved, to be delivered from it because of our faith in Jesus Christ. That brings us back to 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10 again. We're to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Who is he? He's Jesus, the Savior. And what will he do for us? He will rescue us from the coming wrath. If that's what it means for us as believers, we're going to be rescued from the coming wrath. And if that's what it means for those who are not yet believers, they're going to be condemned by the wrath of God for all eternity to the place the Bible calls hell, to the lake of fire, then that should motivate us as well to get out there and tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just the love of God compelling us, but the fact that the wrath of God is going to fall on a world of lost sinners unless they come personally to trust in Jesus Christ for themselves. We should take great encouragement from what we've just read in God's Word, that we are not appointed unto wrath because we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That should encourage us. That should comfort us. First uh, Thessalonians 4.18 says that. First Thessalonians 5 verse 11 says that. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Comfort one another, one another with these words. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. So much encouragement for us in these letters, if we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But such severe words of warning, if we're still outside of Christ, or no loved ones, or neighbors, or work colleagues, who are still outside of Christ. 
So we're called to be a model church this morning here in Carrickfergus from the church in Thessalonica. A young church, only a matter of weeks or months old, but they're calling us to be model churches in our day and generation. In what sense? We're called to be a model church in terms of our commitment to outreach, in terms of real change in our lives, and in terms of true confidence as far as the future is concerned. Because people who are not saved, who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, have everything to fear. One further passage, and with this I finish. It's Luke chapter 17 and verses 26 to 30. Just think about these words as I read them to you. Think about those in your life who you know are lost, who are still outside of Christ, whether a family member, a loved one, a work colleague, a neighbor, someone in your community that you're trying to reach with the gospel. Just think about them as I read these words to you. Luke 17 and verses 26 to 30. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It'll be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who's on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. God rescued Noah and God rescued Lot in their day. He'll rescue believers on that final day. But God's wrath was poured out on unbelievers in Noah's day and poured out on unbelievers in Lot's day. And it will be poured out again on that final day. What will it be like on that day for the people in this community around Carrickfergus? Will they face the future with confidence or will they face it with fear? What part will you play as a church to change that for them? Will you bring them the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? And can I give you some encouragement as I close? In the last month, we have seen God at work in a number of lives in Armagh. God has been saving. Uh, about a month ago, a lady turned into her evening service. She is a care worker in one of the local nursing homes working with a lady from our church. And uh, I go into that home once a month, and we're not allowed to preach in that particular home. We can sing a few songs, we can, pray, we can read the scriptures, and we can pray. That's it. But we're not allowed to preach. And as I left the room that day, I saw this care worker in the corner, just near the door, said, hello to her. And the following Sunday night, I recognized her sitting in the congregation alongside the lady from our church, her co-worker. We were told the following Tuesday morning that she'd come back to the Lord after the service that night. She'd got away from the Lord many years ago and had wandered far from him, and her life was a mess. But she came back to the Lord that night. I got the news on Tuesday around about lunchtime, and I happened to be in Portadown at the time. I got a text at that moment saying, 
My brother's in getting out of hospital today, but it's terminal. They can do nothing more for him. And I texted back and I said, I'll be with you in 10 minutes. And we went into the hospital ward and his brother and I got to share the gospel with that man, a hardened businessman had been witnessed to many times down through the years, especially by his brother, but to no avail. And we believe that day that he trusted Christ as a savior. Three weeks later, we were at his funeral. He's gone. But in the weeks that have followed, a young girl of first year in secondary school, so about 12 years old, trusted Christ as her savior that Sunday night after going home. And I'd been speaking to her that morning. A year ago, we were praying for her. She had major health concerns. A year later, she's got saved. And it's a joy to see her walking with the Lord now, and her health has improved as well. The following Sunday night, a little girl went home, and she'd heard the children's talk that morning in church. Another guy in our church was giving the children's talk, talking about salt and light. They need to be salt and light. We thought he made a mess of it that morning, to be quite straight with you. But that was the very message the Lord used to save that young girl. So there's four people in the space of a month that the Lord has stepped in and saved. And one more, nothing to do with us. Our assistant pastor is a fellow called Mark Rooney, originally from Kilkeel. His brother, his life's in an absolute mess, totally unknown to Mark, went to visit somebody in Lisburn in a garage because he's into cars. The fellow told him he had recently got saved since the last time we'd met, told him all about it. And there and then, Michael fell to his knees on the floor in a garage in Lisburn and trusted Christ as his savior. I'm telling you those stories because God is still saving people. I'm telling, them, I'm telling you them to encourage you to keep on reaching out with the good news of the gospel because God is still in the business of saving lives today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word to our hearts this morning. Thank you for the example of this little church in Thessalonica, not very old at all. You brought them from serving dumb idols to serving you, the living and true God. You transformed their lives. And that transformation in itself spoke volumes to all those around them who knew them before and who knew them now. We pray that the same might be true of this church, that this church would bring hope into the community all around them as they share the good news of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again, the good news of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, and the good news of the fact that Jesus has dealt with all our sins at the cross of Calvary once and for all. And therefore the good news is that anyone from whatever background, from whatever mess their life is in right now, they can trust Christ as their savior. They can be born again. They can be forgiven by the living God. And one day they can go and see you in all your glory. Together with us, they will one day be made perfect when we see our savior face to face in all his glory. Bless your word to all our hearts today and encourage us in this task of mission and of planting churches until Jesus comes or calls. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.